0: Let's listen together for God's word, as it echoes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, beginning with the 31st verse. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that Fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings only you were not willing see your house is left to you and I tell you You will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. For you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the elevator this past week, my next-door neighbor, Martha, and I had a brief conversation about Ukraine. At one point, Martha remarked, I find it difficult to watch the news, and I find it difficult not to watch the news. I nodded. It is difficult, psychologically and spiritually challenging, to watch videos of missiles streaking toward their targets to hear echoes of their explosions, and to picture the devastating effects of fireballs and shrapnel. At the same time, we do not want to stick our heads in the sand when tanks roll, when hospitals are shelled, when soulless tyranny threatens. And let's face it. In the age of nuclear weapons, a conflict like this threatens everything. Even if that were not the case, human decency snaps us to attention in moments like this. Our hearts cannot help be moved by some two and a half million and counting refugees leaving their homes with only their clothes on their backs countless lives and livelihoods shattered. We do not want to look away from such massive human need. And we do want to look away. My friend Stan used to call the modern world's intimate coverage of human conflict war porn. Do I want the image of a family of four who died on a bridge in Eastern Ukraine in my head? Do I dare look away? What does either choice say about me, about my humanity? What is all of this doing to my soul? These are important questions, difficult questions, spiritually, clarifying questions. In his gripping book, War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning, Chris Hedges, a journalist who spent extensive time reporting in war zones, describes how violent conflict forces humans to make hard choices. Fight, run, help, flee, Kill? War is a brutal ethical laboratory. It's carnage on a scale we can scarcely imagine. It's one dehumanizing moral crisis after another. And yet because all of this is true in the midst of war's explosions, hopelessness, and its cynical shroud of lies, we can witness people doing the most brave, honorable, selfless things imaginable. Today, against this heartrending backdrop, we ask, what part do we have to play? What does God want us to do in the face of this war? To answer, we must, as strange as this is to say, we must approach the conflict in Ukraine through the lens of our faith. We must lay our ethical compass on the table, study the maps we have been given, and seek to understand. And this is no easy task. Faithful responses to war can and will vary. But my friends, moral laziness and vague longings for peace are not acceptable. In this, we take our cues from Jesus, our moral exemplar, who actively offered aid to the downtrodden and the bullied who extended comfort to those ravaged by violence and whose courage in speaking truth to corrupt politicians and brutal tyrants stands at the heart of our faith. Today's story from Luke's gospel casts Christ's courage in stark relief. While teaching in one of the synagogues, Jesus is approached by local clergy who encourage him to flee the area. Herod is seeking to kill you, they say. You better run. Without missing a beat, Jesus calls the governor of Galilee a fox, a creature known for its cunning and its ruthlessness. Go and tell that fox I'm doing good work out here in the country. Remind Herod that if you plan to kill a prophet, you, you really ought to wait till he gets to the city. Wait until Jerusalem. Typically, tyrants choose that grand stage to murder those brave enough or stupid enough to tell the truth. And then, as the word Jerusalem hangs in the air, Jesus pauses. The, the mere mention of the holy city, and yes, he's the one who brought it up, draws a sigh from our Lord. It's clearly a place that tugs at Christ's heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he laments, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. In these five succinct verses that make up today's text, in these five verses, the Gospel of Luke conveys tremendous foreboding. Threats of violence hang over Christ. There's a fox out there, not some cuddly Walt Disney fox ready to sing us a song, but a fox like the one in the painting on the cover of your bulletin today, a fox with murder on his mind. What does Jesus do when confronted by this sharp-toothed menace? He compares himself to a chicken, to a hen, stretching her wings over a brood of chicks. (laughs) What the heck? What good, what good is a hen? when a fox is on the prowl. In recent weeks, there's been rigorous discussion occurring among foreign policy experts who are debating the merits of hard power versus soft power. And and I think this debate is actually important for us. When a nation exercises power, it aims to influence people, to influence them to take certain actions or to exhibit certain behaviors. Power is about exerting influence. Broadly speaking, hard power seeks to influence people through coercion, through the threat of, or use of, military violence or through the threat of or use of punishing economic sanctions or policies. Hard power makes a demand. Do this or you will feel pain. On the other hand, soft power refers to non-coercive attempts to exert influence. Soft power models a culture's values over the long haul soft power says look here is an economically vibrant society here opportunity abounds and diversity thrives here is a place where peace does in fact lead to prosperity this too can be yours when your culture is attractive to others, when people study your country's rules, when they scrutinize your citizens' lives and conclude, you know, that looks pretty good, you are wielding soft power. Some argue that soft power is less expensive more persuasive, and ultimately, in the long run, much more effective in bringing about lasting change than hard power. And I suspect that all of those points are true. Still, soft power has a problem. A big problem. And it goes like this. Hard power in the wrong hands, doesn't care a whit about soft power. In 1943, British papers reported that that Joseph Stalin, General Secretary of the Soviet Union, overheard a diplomat suggest that the Pope because of the Roman Catholic Church's vast influence in the world, that the Pope be invited to join peace talks at the end of World War II. Stalin scoffed at the idea, saying, the Pope? How many divisions does he have? There will always be those in this world who shrug at soft power. Autocrats, tyrants, bullies, maniacs exist. There have always been those who are willing to mobilize artillery, to shell civilians into submission, and to obliterate those who rely on soft power. American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr understood this. While God wants us to strive for peace and calls the faithful to work for reconciliation in this conflicted world, there are times, Niebuhr argued, when it is a Christian's duty to fight against evil, to bring hard power to bear on behalf of the good. Now, Niebuhr did not embrace the use of violence lightly. To pick up a spear, he knew, is to enter a world of chaos, depravity, and sin. It is a last resort. Why? Well, Niebuhr argued, those who embrace violence will ultimately be tainted by it. Goodness, armed with power, he wrote, is corrupted. Notably, though, Niebuhr did not stop there. Pure love, Niebuhr went on to observe, pure love without power is destroyed. This is the ethical bind that people of faith face when confronted by war. Violent power corrupts the human spirit, But refusing to wield hard power when faced by evil is similarly corrosive. Here, Niebuhr criticized Americans who, on seeing the Nazis advance across Europe, declared themselves to be pacifists. In a famous essay, Niebuhr observed that the presence of of more pacifists in the world would not have stopped Hitler from invading Poland. Tanks would have stopped Hitler from invading Poland. Sometimes, Niebuhr argued, in embracing our calling to protect innocents from destruction and death, we must accept the compromise of violence. I've been thinking about Niebuhr's words all week. As we send billions of dollars in munitions, Javelin anti-tank weapons, Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, to Ukraine. I want to speak for a few moments to you personally and somewhat unfiltered, sort of the way I speak to my wife after reading an article that inflames my spirit early in the mornings. I want to rant a bit and lament a bit today. I support the United States sending arms to Ukraine But I also lament this dispersal. I pray these weapons represent the sort of hard power Ukraine needs to stop President Putin's evil plans. I pray they will turn the tide and compel Putin to cease this devastating madness, this systemic butchery and withdraw his forces. I pray that these weapons will not contribute to this conflict spiraling into a broader, more devastating affair. Mostly though, I worry that we are in for a season of especially brutal urban combat. I do not look forward to the images that will come our way from the battle for Kyiv. I will not cheer the sight of exploded tanks and the burnt bodies of young Russian soldiers, some of whom are conscripts who have no idea what they're doing in Ukraine. I do not want to watch even one more grandmother flee her beloved home, because there's no water and no heat and a piece of shrapnel has torn a hole in a roof. I do not want to count all the coffins draped with blue and gold flags or to stand witness before the sobbing of their loved ones. I lament the Russian people's loss of political freedom, and I pray that they will rise up in protest against this deadly tyranny I want to shake the leaders whose mammoth egos, warped view of history, worm-eaten hearts and unchecked narcissism has brought us to this terrible, terrible place. Oh, and I want the world to hold those oligarchs accountable. I trust that God will there has got to be a special place in hell for those who bleed their countries of natural resources and cruise about on obscene yachts, all while failing to build economies and infrastructure and opportunities that would allow ordinary people to thrive. That's my rant. I believe in the cause of the Ukrainian people I expect the coming days and weeks of this war will be truly awful. And I hope those responsible will be held accountable. Having stated these beliefs and my rather grim expectation for what lies ahead, I should express the other thing that flutters in my heart. I hope I'm wrong. I actually do pray for peace every day and I pray for wisdom and guidance in responding to this moment. Where can we find wisdom and guidance in the chaos of war? Personally, I'm trying to find my path based on the beams cast by two lighthouses whose lamps I believe are capable of piercing this fog. The first beam emanates from a basic moral principle. Do not capitulate to evil. You can find this principle articulated in political theory, poetry, and prose. Personally, I think do not capitulate to evil undergirds almost everything that J.R.R. Tolkien ever wrote. Especially germane to today's topic is a section in Tolkien's novel, The Two Towers. There, Faramir, one of two warrior brothers fighting a battle against frightful odds, struggles with the choices he must make in war. He faces a classic question. Can I justify an evil action if I'm trying to bring about a good result? In the end, Faramir refuses to accept this devil's wager. And this is what he says. War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Faramir's words echo through today's text from the Gospel of Luke, a second lamp capable of burning through the fog. When confronted by the threat of King Herod, a brutal man who executed Christ's cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus reflects on the violent nature of that fox and the violent history of Jerusalem, a place famous for killing prophets and truth-tellers. Contemplating the city's cruel history, Jesus weeps. He cries out. He gives voice to centuries of human suffering. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. O Kiev, Kiev. O Kharkiv. O Odessa. O Dnipro. Jesus laments humanity's cruel and violent ways. My friends, lament is an appropriate and faithful response to this mess. But there's more. If you look closely, Christ's lament illumines a path forward. While crying out in the face of the world's violence, Jesus claims, a role for himself, he casts himself as a hen whose goal is to gather together the chicks in Jerusalem and to protect them from harm. The fox is coming, whispered the locals. Yes, nods Jesus, I know there are always foxes. And I know what to do. I will cover the chicks with my wings is this soft power hard power will jesus urge the fox to embrace a new and loving path or will this chicken raise a claw will it peck fiercely at the fox's eyes what sort of power does a hen have earlier this week a photographer an italian photographer covering the war in Poland, Francesco Malavolta captured an odd scene at a train station in Poland. Neatly lined up along a low fence on the arrival platform at the Poshemyshel train station, Malavolta spotted a few dozen baby carriages and strollers. The carriages had been cleaned up, fitted with fresh blankets and, and left at this station only eight miles from Ukraine's border by Polish mothers. They were left in this sacred row so that when Ukrainian refugees arrived, they would have strollers for their babies. On the Mount of Olives facing old Jerusalem, there's a small Franciscan chapel called Dominus Flavit. Dominus Flavit simply means in Latin, the Lord wept. The chapel recalls today's passage from the Gospel of Luke and the moment when Jesus contemplating our violent ways, wept over Jerusalem. Sort of in the middle of your bulletin today, you can find a picture from Dominus Flavit. It's the image of a mosaic that lies alongside the altar in the chapel. There, luminous chips of tile depict a white hen, with a prominent halo, she arches her wings, making some say the sign of the cross over a brood of distracted yellow chicks. Around the edge of the mosaic in Latin are the words of today's passage. It's Christ's cry from Luke, O Jerusalem. My friends, Jesus grieves our violent ways. But we shouldn't equate his sadness with surrender. Why not? Well, mostly because our Lord is that holy chicken. Rather than give up or run away, Jesus comes to the world again and again and again as a hen as a creature willing to sacrifice her life to offer protection and care, as a mother fiercely devoted to protecting her young. In the face of violence, this is the model that Jesus offers to the faithful. And if the good book is right, it's this upside down power that will ultimately redeem us all. In these perilous times, my friends, face the world with Christ's peace in your hearts. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.